have a part in that, and these folks who we are recognizing today have done that in a very specific way, and we're grateful. Uh, we really make that promise to each other because we're all children of God to continue to nurture one another in faith throughout our lives. Before we dismiss the students today, uh, we are gonna read the scripture together. I understand that the elementary students are going to be looking at the same passage that we're looking at in worship. And I love when we do that. I hope we do it more often because uh, I have an ambivalent relationship with preaching. I think it's really strange that I get to stand up here and say everything and you guys don't get to respond. Uh, so I try to set it up so that it's not just that, but that it's a conversation. And hopefully it's a conversation that you continue with each other. So remember, uh, those of you who have elementary school children, that they are going to be reading this passage together and talking about it together. So ask them. There's a month of Sundays of sermons in this passage. Every week, we're, you know, we're, it's like, how do you parse out the one, well, the one gem for this day? Uh, but we could, we could work on this passage for literally months. But this is from Luke 24. We're in a time where we're talking about um, meeting the risen Christ. How does the risen Christ continue to appear among us? And we're also going to hear another story today from one of you um, so that we all can get used to talking to each other about where you experience the presence of Christ here and now. But this is a story uh, out of Luke. Uh, this is um, the road to Emmaus. Perhaps you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. Uh, let us pray that we all can hear it with new ears today. Let us go to God. Risen and present Christ, we pray as we turn to these scriptures. That by your Holy Spirit, we would have eyes to see you in our midst and in this passage and ears to hear what you are saying to us today and grace and courage to follow in the way you are calling. We pray in the name of the risen and present Christ. Amen. Now, on that same day, and in Luke, that's the same day that the women went uh, early to the, to the tomb. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, Jesus asked them, this is a whole other sermon, but notice how Jesus asked questions. What things? As if he doesn't know. But you know what Jesus does know? Everybody's story about that same experience is different. What things, Jesus asked. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was still alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered there. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then the Emmaus travelers told what had happened on the road and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as our children and our students depart, um, I have asked Mary Flynn Nemitz to come forward and to share uh, just a little snippet of a, an experience that she has had uh, with the presence of the living and risen Christ. You can use this. I think it's on. Is that on? Um, joy-filled, like the first experience I have of, of wanting to be a Christian was, was picturing the Lord reaching his hand out to Peter who's sinking in the water, and in this particular version of it, Jesus is smiling and laughing like, Peter, what are you doing? You know, grab my hand. Um, that's kind of how I came to faith, 
was this idea that God loved me and he delighted in me. And it was so freeing to feel loved and known. Um, but then I went through a season of like wanting to be a really good Christian, you know, and like study all the things and know all the things. And again, just uh, fell into that, that trap of uh, wanting to get it all right. In fact, my Young Life leader in high school shared this quote with me that is so cheesy, but I've never forgotten it. She said, do you know why angels can fly, Mary Flynn? It's like, I don't know why. And she said, because they take themselves so lightly. Um, and that has stuck with me. So, um, you know, fast forward however many years. I've graduated from college. I'm living in San Francisco. Maybe dating Matt, maybe not. I'm not sure what, what time this was. But regardless, I was, I was taking myself seriously. What am I supposed to do with my life? How am I supposed to make an impact for the kingdom? You know, what is, what's meaningful? And um, an older woman in our church had shared with me that she had recently, instead of doing quiet times every morning, she was just going out on walks and praying. Um, and I was kind of like, is that a thing? Like, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to have our quiet time every morning, but okay. Um, so this one particular day, I remember I went out for a walk. I walked the same path that I always ran. Um, we li I lived on, um, whatever, Russian Hill. I can't remember my street. Um, Hyde Street. And uh, anyway, I would walk down by the water. There was this really beautiful loop. And um, I went on the same walk that I always did, but I was just praying, you know, Lord, I feel really overwhelmed. I'm not sure. I'm doing things right. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure I'm in the right career. I haven't met the right person. My parents say I won't unless I move back to Atlanta. So maybe I should do that. Um, and as I was walking, I, I noticed for the first time this like set of binoculars that look out over the water. I don't know what the right word is for that, but you know, like how they have on the top of the World Trade Center, you like look out. So I stopped and looked through them. And instead of it looking out on the water for that day, it was this art exhibit. And it had taken, someone had taken a picture of the sun rising over the water every day for 365 days. So you would look through and you could just click forward and see the sun coming up every morning over the water in the same beautiful way. And I really felt in that moment, I know this sounds maybe a little woo-woo, but I felt like the Lord was there with me saying, I am there every morning. I know every day you're going to have. I know every day you have had. You know, you don't know what the next day looks like, but I do. Um, and it was just a really beautifully reassuring reminder again that it's, um, it's not just up to me, right? And I'm not trying to say that it's not important, the decisions that we make. I think it is but that there is um, a God in heaven who knows us and who loves us and who actually knows what our days look like. Um, and so I, um, I kept walking, and I actually encountered for the first time, again, I'd been doing this running loop for however many years at that point, and I encountered this rose garden that I'd never found before on the top of um, Fort Mason. And I sat there and just... I don't know, it was one of those times where you just feel like you've been doing the same thing over and over again, and then the Lord opens your eyes to it in a new way. And I felt his presence, and I felt his comfort, and um, I just felt that sense of he loves me and he knows me. Um, 
So I still hold on to that walk that I took with the Lord. I feel like I need that message over and over again. I'm sure I needed it at the PNC morning meeting this morning. Mary Flynn, don't take yourself so seriously. It's not just up to you. The Lord has a plan. Um, but that's my, that's my experience. I'm sure you're done. I asked you last week, but my sermon, and then I thought, you know, in case she, something might jive with it. But this was a sentence she just said, and when you hear where we're going with this, you're not going to believe it. I did not send the email. The Lord opens your eyes in a new way. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. That's basically what the sermon is. Amen. Um, but we're going to start with a test, okay? This is a test of your attention. And um, can we get that up there? So everybody pay attention, because we're going to grade you. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. Okay, how many of you uh, who had not seen this before actually saw the gorilla? Okay, this is about statistically right, maybe, you know, a quarter or a third. Um, the first time I saw this, and I shared it with our leadership uh, team, and uh, Cease Webster was just like, that's not the same video. <laughs> that's how I felt the first time I saw it. I was like, what? there's no way I missed that. But I think those of us like Mary Flynn who want to get the answer right, you can turn the lights back on, um, who want to get the answer right. I mean, I was so zoned in on that basketball and the, the white shirts who were passing around. I did not see the gorilla. The Lord opens our eyes in a new way. The travelers on the road to Emmaus did not know, did not see, did not recognize, uh, this is where the analogy breaks down, not the gorilla in their midst, but Jesus in their midst. They didn't recognize him. Now this is a theme in the resurrection appearances. Mary thinks he's the gardener. Those on the road to him is just a stranger, just a stranger walking along. They can't see that it is Christ in their midst. 
We're not told why. But I've wondered often if it doesn't have to do something with this one little line in that passage, but we had hoped. We had hoped. We had hoped for victory and redemption. We had hoped for new life and new beginnings. We had hoped. Maybe it's the dashing of hopes. Maybe it's the, the, the forgotten dreams, the broken dreams, the broken hearts. Maybe it's the grief from those disappointments that keep us from seeing. Maybe sometimes we get so consumed with life's problems and counting the basketballs and spinning the plates and making sense of it all that we don't see all that is right there before us, all the gifts of God right there in our midst. We can't see the incognito Christ with us. And I thought, again, you know, there's like a million sermons in this passage, but <clears throat> I started thinking this week, because we were talking about our children and those who love and serve and teach and lead and care for our children, that maybe, just perhaps, one reason that Jesus holds up children and, and always little children, that's very distinctive in the passages, as, as models of discipleship is because children sometimes see things with great clarity. I would bet that if we got to ask all the people who stood up today, not what did you teach the children, but what have they taught you, we might have quite a list. Jesus lifts up children in very specific things. They're, they're, he, they're, people are bringing little infants to him, and people are saying, no, 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 he's too important, he's too important. And he says, no, 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 let the little children come to me. You remember that, right? We always see, sometimes you see pictures like that. But sometimes what they leave off is the second part of that. Let the little children come to me. For such as these will receive the kingdom. Jesus lifts up children as an example another time. It's when the disciples are arguing, who's the greatest, who's the rightest, who's the best, who's the highest achiever? And Jesus calls a little children, a little child. Could you be more like this? Because that's how you'll see the kingdom. Children can teach us something about what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. And as we celebrate those who give to our children today, I'm wanting us to think about how children can teach us. There's a wonderful quote in her book, The Child in Christian Thought, Judith gundry Wolf. It is a most significant challenge for us to recapture in our own particular context the radicalness of Jesus' teaching on children. Children are not 
subordinates, but sharers with adults in the life of faith. They are not only to be formed, but to be imitated. They are not only unknowing, but very capable of spiritual insight. They are not just children, but representatives of Christ. It's like the song that we'll sing when we leave today that Ryan and Bethany played so beautifully for us. Through the eyes of a child, we see that we are part of a love that is reconciling the world. There's a wonderful video, it's a public service announcement that came out of um, France and an organization that works with uh, multiply disabled people. They took very young children, again, it doesn't, before childhood is over, we get to the, but we had hoped. And we lose that kind of great hopefulness that children have and way of seeing. But they took children and their parents, and they had, there was a barrier between, and the child on one side, parent on another, and they filmed them. They had movies of people making funny faces. And every time someone would go, you know, or whatever, stick out their tongue, uh, roll their eyes, the, the children and the parent would imitate them. On the screen came a person with a disability. And the adult immediately froze. The child just right ahead. They, they didn't make the distinction in that moment. They didn't see the difference. Something really beautiful about that. The, the, the ad ended with the tagline, may we all see through the eyes of a child. But somewhere along the way, the we had hopes pile up. I love Billy Collins' poem, On Turning Ten. The whole idea of it makes me feel like I'm coming down with something. This is the beginning of sadness, I say to myself as I walk through the universe in my sneakers. It seems only yesterday I used to believe there was nothing under my skin but light. If you cut me, I would shine. But now when I fall upon the sidewalks of life, I skin my knees. I bleed. But we had hoped, said Cleophas. And it's a story we all share. Jesus tells us we are the light of the world, that we are made in the image of God, that the, that of God is in every child. But by the time we turn 10, we learn how life can make us bleed. And not just our knees, we know our hearts can bleed. We had hoped we had hoped that our family would stay together. We had hoped that our grandparents would live forever. We had hoped that our pet wouldn't get sick. We had hoped that our friends wouldn't bully us. We had hoped, and all of a sudden, the vision narrows. And we can't see the light. 
of Christ in the stranger, in the other, in our midst. One of the, my most poignant moments in all of ministry was many years ago, I was a youth leader, and a young woman named Dana had made a commitment to Christ at a Young Life summer camp. And right around Thanksgiving, we got together and had a cup of coffee or whatever we were doing back then. I don't know if coffee was big that. We got together and I said, Dana, I know you've been coming to Bible study every week. I know you read your Bible and pray every morning, but like, what, what difference would you say? If you had to say like, what difference has your commitment to Christ made in the last six months in your life? Didn't take her long. She said, oh, Pam, this is going to sound funny, but I think this was it. She goes, uh, I went into the, about a month ago, I went into the cafeteria, the lunchroom. Movies and novels are made about high school lunchrooms. So she says, I walk in, I'm getting ready to go sit down, and I see some commotion at this table. She goes, do you know Steve? I know Steve. He was a challenging person. He wasn't popular. He was an outsider. He was a stranger in their midst. She said there was all this commotion and these 10th grade girls, Dana was a senior, who everybody looked up to, because she was cool, she was a Mary Flynn. She said, they all started making all this noise and they started gathering up their stuff and moving away and, and Steve is sitting there and all of a sudden one of them just stands up and goes, we don't want to sit near you. She said, Pam, without even thinking about it, and honest to goodness, I don't even think I would have noticed before. I don't think I would have seen. But I just walked over and said, hey, Steve, why don't you come sit with me? the stranger in our midst. And let me just say, Dana learned as much from Steve as Steve did. It was a relationship, a friendship of reciprocal learning and love. That's the key. Jesus is the stranger who teaches them, who teaches them. Not just the stranger that they feed and give water to, the one who shows them something new. The Lord opens their eyes in a new way. So by 10, we bleed, we hurt, we have our share of we had hoped. But Jesus calls us not to forget that we have those griefs. Jesus doesn't dismiss the grief. Jesus says, tell me more about it. Let's talk about it. Tell me your version. But he also reminds them that even in that grief, they are filled with light, and so is the stranger in their midst. Maybe this is what it means when Jesus says, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. 
that we might see the light in others that is underneath their bleeding or all the adaptive behaviors they do to cover up their own broken hearts and skinned knees. We might see the light in them and in ourselves. For the risen Christ is among us. Sometimes incognito. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear.